Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode on hedge funds has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm Jamie Kramer, head of Alternative Solutions Group and guest host of the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Paul Zumo, Chief Investment Officer at J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management, and Rich Birch, Head of Relative Value and Macro Opportunistic Research. Rich Paul, welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. For listeners who missed the most recent episodes of the Center for Investment Excellence podcast channel, we will focus on the current market volatility, the impact of various asset classes, and how investors can best position themselves to withstand both current and future market conditions. Today, we will be discussing hedge funds, exploring how COVID-19 and market volatility are impacting the asset class. Paul, congratulations. Last week, you celebrated the 25th anniversary of your founding of J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management. That's one of the longest track records in the hedge fund space and a successful one with sharp ratios greater than one. These are the times that truly demonstrate the value of experience. J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management has managed this crisis so far with portfolios flat to slightly down versus equity markets down 20 to 30%. Over the 25 years, there have been three major crises, long-term capital management, the tech bubble, the global financial crisis, and now COVID-19. Paul and Rich, there are similarities and differences from each of these crises across drivers, magnitude, speed, and opportunities that arise. Can you share any lessons that may apply to all? Paul, let's start with you. Sounds good. From my perspective, there's more similarities than differences, but perhaps what's most different about each is the catalyst that causes the undoing, and also in this case, definitely the speed of the sell-off. But the underlying issues of fuel crisis are often really the same. So specifically leverage, illiquidity, and investor complacency. Regarding lessons, though, or I would actually say that reminders, because they happen time and time again, a number come to mind, and I'll throw out a couple. So first, trees don't grow to the sky. Whether it's internet valuations during the dot-com era, or more recently, investors' unquenchable thirst for yield, Excesses inevitably are created and ultimately they collapse. So it's critical to be disciplined. And second, as far as hedge fund investing is concerned, manager risk is paramount. We're seeing material dispersion across different hedge funds, different hedge fund strategies. And it's a good reminder, deep due diligence is always critical and necessary for success. Rich, you want to add anything? Yeah, I would add a couple. First, you know, tail events happen, right? We don't design portfolios to live in the tail, but we also want to consider the impact when that tail event inevitably occurs. It's all about constructing a well-balanced portfolio to perform in all environments and to be aware of what environment we're in, not to fall prey to the typical temptations that everyone feels when we are late cycle. And so it's not really just about playing defense, it's about playing offense, but you need to stay liquid and in the game when you're in a late cycle environment, when markets inevitably dislocate. Okay, so... In keeping with the playing offense, pre-COVID, you came into the year excited about three themes across the hedge fund landscape that seemed most compelling from your perspective. The first was quantitative investing and specifically statistical arbitrage, including managers with a machine learning focus. Rich, 
I think you're pretty smart, but I'm pretty sure you didn't foresee the situation we would find ourselves in today. Can you walk us through how quant has done? And most importantly, is this theme still valid? Well, on the last point first, yes. I mean, the theme is definitely still valid. And you're right that it wasn't driven by expectations of what just happened over the last several weeks. It was driven by certain very large-scale technological advancements and trends which are continuing today. You know, those trends are in kind of the computing power and the cost of computing power, the availability of data, and the rapid and significant advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques. That being said, one of the benefits of those AI and machine learning techniques is the fact that they are adaptive. So while we didn't call this environment, I would say that the idea that this environment could happen is something that leads us to believe that machine learning systems should be able to pick up on the trends and the patterns that have existed in the past and are playing out again now. That last point is really important because more traditional approaches in quant investing establish a set of rules upfront by which the market is expected to abide. The artificial intelligence machine learning approach allows for systems to figure out the rules and patterns by which the market is behaving on the fly. So it allows systems to be more adaptive to the investment environment than those traditional quantitative approaches. So in March, on the whole, we saw shorter horizon systems adapt more quickly than those with slightly longer horizons. But as of today, our manager systems have adapted and are generating positive results. Great. If I tie that back to the comment I made before about making sure that we are kind of aware that tails can happen, the way we think about creating a portfolio in quant is to diversify by horizon, by market, by asset class, such that those collected portfolios of quantitative systems perform across all environments, including the ones we just went through. Most relative value strategies, including quant, will suffer when markets are super, super volatile, when the volatility of volatility is very, very high, which is what we saw in March and in periods like August 07. But they perform absolutely best in the periods immediately following when volatility remains high but is stable. And we see the spreads and relative value relationships kind of normalize. So that's why we're excited about these strategies really going forward. Great. Thanks, Rich. Paul, the second theme that you highlighted was long short equities. And specifically, you were excited about opportunities in tech, telco, and healthcare. How has this theme performed? And do you still like this area today? So when I look at March, we're definitely pleased with the performance of our low net exposure long short equity managed, especially in the sectors that you mentioned. And it definitely continues to be a core theme of ours. That being said, at this stage, the equity markets rallied, you know, 20% plus from the bottom. And in my opinion, it's not an obvious scream and buy at this point. So while we're excited about the prospects for long short equities, I think we're most excited about the alpha environment. What gives us that confidence is probably the question. Three things are really supportive to it. So first, if you look across the industry, gross exposure is quite low on the industry as a whole, but definitely long short. That sets up for a positive kind of supportive flow environment. Second, the material sell-off caused stock correlations to sharply increase. And conversely, as a correlation falls, as the market stabilizes, stock pickers will be rewarded. And third, opportunities on the short side should improve going forward, especially as kind of leverage and finance and costs come to center stage. And that oftentimes pressures the weaker companies in the space. So... Long, short net exposure, you like specific managers with alpha, with now low correlations and opportunities on the short side, not the category overall. You got it. 
Okay. So Paul, sticking with you, one of our passions is what's your third theme of opportunity going into 2020, and that's sustainability. So question for you is, how has sustainability held up year to date? And does COVID-19 accelerate the importance of ESG factors in hedge fund investing, or does it sideline it a little bit at this point? Sure. Great question. So on the performance front, sustainability-focused portfolio, you know, it's definitely done well year-to-date. And I just kind of highlight March as a month in which the sustainable-leaning portfolio definitely outperformed a broader market index. Now, energy, specifically the steep decline in oil prices during the month, was definitely part of the story. But even if you look more broadly, sustainable factors generally outperformed across most other sectors as well. So it has worked. And more importantly, as we come out of the crisis, I think we're going to find that the enthusiasm for sustainability will be stronger than ever. And specifically, you know, obviously there are important environmental issues and that will continue to be in focus. But I think the crisis has really highlighted other focal points as well. Just to maybe throw out a few, the broader access to healthcare technology for sustainability, our need to address inequality, and the importance of governance in financial markets. I think everyone appreciated them before. I think the appreciation has risen dramatically as a result of the crisis. I would agree with you. March definitely tested the merits of each of our 2020 themes, and I would say that each of them proved themselves pretty well so far in the crisis. Congratulations again. Yeah, there was actually one other area that we were high conviction, but this one was more on the underweight side. Okay. Anyone who's seen our heat map over the course of the last couple of years would know that we have been particularly bearish on liquid credit and distressed credit. And that's something that we've been underweight in the portfolios and it served us extremely well in March. And at this point, we think the stage is set really for a multi-year opportunity in credit. It's not just what you owned and what you were overweight. It's also what you were underweight. That's a good point, Rich. And then I think that's also a good transition into the opportunities. Looking ahead, beyond the three that you talked about, what themes have emerged as a result of the volatility? Well, there's one thing that we see it happen really systematically after each crisis. And because we have strong relationships with our managers, it's something that we're generally able to take advantage of. That's an opportunity that's happening right now. And that is that some managers that have been closed for long periods of time who see the opportunity set kind of evolving in a very attractive way are opening up or at least doing limited openings for clients like ourselves who've been invested with them for long periods of time. So a great example of this is D.E. Shaw that did a very limited reopening over the course of the last few weeks with very little notice to investors. And we're seeing that really more broadly as well. So your existing investors are able to take advantage of that capacity. That's great. So moving on, Rich, you had mentioned credit, Paul. Can you please talk about or share with us, obviously, you have been very vocal about the complex staying underweight credit for the last two years. In fact, you, I think you could have said, would have hated credit. And many of the consultants even commented on the fact that we were underweight credit versus many of our competitors. Obviously, credit has gotten hit here. Where, if any, in the credit market are you finding attractive opportunities? Sure. And it is a different world in terms of what's going on now. And I expect the opportunity in credit to really be substantial across both structured credit and specifically in corporate distress. And maybe I'll kind of take each of them quickly. So on the structured credit side, I mean, we've seen enormous forced delevering with prices falling for both really fundamental as well as technical reasons. 
And initially, that presented an excellent opportunity, investment-grade CLLs as an example, and other kind of senior securities. At this stage, though, while one still needs to be selective, we're confident that there's still a lot to play out in structured credit, and it will continue to present opportunities for a very long time. And then kind of switching to the corporate side, just to set the stage, I mean, there's been an enormous increase in the size of the credit markets over the years. And in corporate credit, you know, the crisis has taken a toll on it as well. So today, if you look in the market, about a quarter of high-yield and levered loans are trading at distressed prices. And as we look forward, you know, defaults will inevitably rise, perhaps to the 8 to 10% range, which creates great supply. And that default rate is much higher than what we've seen for some time. So kind of taking that together, it really sets up for a great opportunity set, not only in secondary paper, but also opportunities in, in rescue financing and kind of hands-on restructuring through the bankruptcy process. So we're definitely moving capital into space. And I think that Paul mentioned that it will take time. This will play out over time, what we're seeing in credit and structured credit. And I think it's important to remember that the very rapid sell-off we saw throughout March really is driven by investor fears of how those fundamentals will play out. And as a result, some of the dislocation is probably technical and some of it is fundamental. But the fundamentals will take longer to play out. So a very good way to access the opportunity set, at least in the immediate term, is more on the technical side, looking at technical dislocations without taking necessarily the market risk of trying to call a bottom in credit or a call a bottom in equities. So on these technical dislocations, we're really seeing opportunities across a lot of relative value things, including on the CLO side, looking instead of at just buying CLOs, you can go long CLOs and short high yield and create more of a relative value basket. And the same is true in things like relative value trades in the mortgage markets, certain index arbitrage trades, merger arbitrage spreads, some opportunities in SPACs, and certain basis trades like in the muni market and other areas of the fixed income market. So really, we're seeing a lot of these more technical dislocations that are very interesting in the immediate term. Well, thanks, Paul and Rich, for sharing your insights and your high conviction themes for investing through the crisis and beyond. To review, you began the year with three key themes on the overweight side, quant, long, short equities, and sustainability. These have held up well, and you believe that for the most part, they should continue to outperform. We then reviewed three actionable items as a result of the crisis, the first being finding attractive, scarce manager capacity, the second being taking advantage of technical dislocations, and the third, an abundance of opportunity now throughout the credit market. In closing, we hope you, your families, your colleagues, and constituents are successfully coping with the dramatic changes around the world, and we hope these insights make a meaningful impact on your investment success. Thank you, Rich and Paul, for joining me on the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us today on JP Morgan Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts and on our website. Recorded on April 9, 2020. For institutional wholesale professional clients and qualified investors only, not for retail use or distribution, not for retail distribution, this communication has been prepared exclusively for institutional wholesale 
professional clients and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https://am.jpmorgan.com slash global, slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities, in the United States, by J.P. Morgan Investment Management Inc. or J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management, Inc., both regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, in Latin America, for intended recipients use only, by local J.P. Morgan entities, as the case may be, in Canada, for institutional clients use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Canada Inc., which is a registered portfolio manager and exempt market dealer in all Canadian provinces and territories except the Yukon and is also registered as an investment fund manager in British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador, in the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave RL, in Asia-Pacific, APAC by the following issuing entities and in the respective jurisdictions in which they are primarily regulated, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited, each of which is regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg, No. 197,601,586K, which this advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330, in Australia, to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, Commonwealth, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, 
Australia, Limited, ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, Copyright 2020 JP Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved.